back, bring back, oh, bring back my Bonnie to me, to me. <laughs> bring back, bring back, oh, bring back my Bonnie to me. Last night as I lay on my pillow, last night as I lay on my head, last night as I lay on my pillow, I wish that my Bonnie was dead. <laughs> Oh my gosh. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Judgment Day Refreshment Committee. I'm your host as ever, sexy, sexy Dory Peacock. With me, as always, is everybody's favorite Tim Pond, Tim Pax Pearl. <laughs> I performed a really special experiment this week on Facebook, Dory. Did you? Uh, yeah, I, I called it, uh, someone please bring me a pizza. And for... <laughs> I saw that. For, for five consecutive days, I posted on Facebook, uh, someone please bring me a pizza. And someone finally did. <laughs> somebody brought him a pizza. Someone That's... brought me a pizza. It was good pizza. Somebody brought Timothy Maurice a pizza. A pizza. So that I, I, I like learned Terry that if you ask for things repeatedly from your diverse group of friends, eventually one of them will cave and and uh, give you what you want, as long as it's not a high cost item. Was one of those people your mom? It may have been. So Tim got a pizza, and we both got a wonderful treat this week. <gasps> oh, was it a new Taylor Swift single? Ugh, I guess. No, I mean, that's not what I meant, but yeah, that did happen. You didn't even see the new album artwork. I don't like her. I don't like her music. I don't like her dumb face. I don't like her dumb video where she's like, oh, I'm just a poor little blonde chick over here running away from the mean brunette as if blondes didn't rule the world. For those, for those of you who can't see, I'm about to show Dory a picture of the reputation Dory has begun ah. glaring at the photo. Now she's switched to disgust. And now she's, <coughs> now she's retching into the microphone. No, no, no Dory. It's not, it's not that bad. It's not, it's not that bad. It's just so stupid. Our, expendment is, our equipment is expensive. It's like, ooh, look expense, at me. Our expensements. I'm blonde Sarah McLachlan. Look at me with my dark lipstick. That's not what the new... I'm a woman now. That's ooh. not what the new single is. Can I pause? Can we pause recording so I can show you like 10 seconds no, of it? No, no, we cannot do that. Please? No, our time is too precious. Oh. Our time is I'm gonna far make too precious. You, I'm going to make you... Because it's funny because everyone hates it, Dory. Everybody hates it. Like, Is it bad? It's really bad. Oh, see? Normally like, we're I'm all not, kind of like, like mixed on like, surprised. are we on the T-Swift side? But it's like, I don't know. It's No, as people shouldn't be surprised by this. Because when 1989 came out, everyone was like, oh, oh, it's actually good. Oh, this is a really good album. She must be a good artist. And I'm like, hey. I'm sorry, did you forget Love Story? We, no, we don't forget Love Story, but Style is a classic. But no, it's... Everyone's kind of united in their 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 disappointment in this new experience. Yeah, well, they find I Taylor this, they find Taylor to be too rigid and and selfish and full of other vices. Oh my hey, gosh, Taylor Swift, selfish. Who speaking knew? speaking of vices, what are two vices that start with the letter P that are relevant to us and our treat that we? Oh, you're really stretching. Experience. You're, really <laughs> you're, you're really stretching this, but I respect it. I think, let's see, vices. Hmm. Starting with peas. Hmm. Pride. Ooh. Hmm. That's a good one. Uh, pomposity? Oh, no. Is that the other one? There might be another one. Hmm. Prejudice? Uh, yeah, I think it's that one. So both pride and prejudice? What? <laughs> we watched Pride and Prejudice. 
Pride and Prejudice. Sorry, I didn't enunciate good. Pride and Prejudice. But but which Pride and Prejudice? Which Pride and Prejudice? There are you so may many. Well ask. There are a vast array. The one we watched was the 2003. Uh, was it 2003 or 2004? Two, no, 2003. Yeah, the one that came out when I was a teenager that was made by Mormons for Mormons, starring Mormons. Directed by one Andrew Black. Andrew Black. Has he done Black. other Mormon cinema, Tim? No. Um, although, if you look up his production company, Camera 40 Productions, they have directed a movie called Orcs! Exclamation <gasps> point. Orcs! <laughs> and they have directed three movies that are Mythica... <laughs> I knocked the pop filter. Mythica is not a genre, folks. No. They are just called Mythica. So not a huge... They're, Not a huge uh, filmography for Andrew Black. No, but in addition to Orcs! Exclamation point, they have a bunch of movies called Mythica, colon, the subtitle, like Dragon's Nest, or like... <laughs> a blessing spider of Spider Keep. I don't know. Spider Keep. <laughs> keep all your spiders in one place with Spider Keep. That is Spider Keep. seen on TV. <laughs> spider Keep. So it's like a little warehouse, and it has like the top of for towers. Oh, Spire Keep. Yeah. That's where you keep all your spires. They probably have a spider-themed spire. What? They probably have a spider-themed spire. A spider-themed spire. A spider spire and well, spire you, keep. You got to keep your spire somewhere when you walk, go around and cut all the spires off churches yeah. then you gotta put them somewhere spire robert don't come by our house again you know those are expensive <laughs> spire no spiring spire no spiring <laughs> has the dora the explorer joke for you with kids or you people whose name sounds vaguely like dora and have to hear about that shit your whole life <laughs> hey we promised we weren't gonna curse anymore hey no i didn't promise that we said we were gonna try not to curse anymore i'm, I'm gonna try harder than you shit is not a curse word yes it is it is not yes, it not is. in southern utah anyway it's just the noise you make when you sneeze. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is true. That's how my grandpa sneezed. Um, anyway, uh, so Pride and Prejudice. When I was a young warthog in junior high, <laughs> this movie came out that was a modern adaptation of Pride and Prejudice. And my friend Laura, who weirdly has the same last name as me, uh, came over and said, oh my gosh, you got to watch this. It's just like the book. It's so good. And I was like, I haven't read the book. I've never seen any Pride and Prejudice thing or a Jane Austen thing. I've been avoiding it because I don't want to be a girl yet. And it was one of the funniest. It's like, oh my gosh. It was like the best piece of Mormon cinema I had seen. We talked in Sally Carmichael about the Mormon cinema boom. Yeah. And that's partly why we wanted to do this movie. It was because we were kind of disappointed with Sally Carmichael as a piece of Mormon cinema. So we were like, let's do a piece of Mormon cinema for YA that we really do like. And it's also the best one. It really is. Like, I thought that I just thought that as a kid because I was a kid. But, like, it, it really holds up. It does, yeah. If you go on Rotten Tomatoes, it's interesting because it's got a, a mixed reaction. It's it's fresh. It's fresh. It's funky fresh. Uh, but so the majority of critics gave it positive reviews. Um, and there are a, a variety of reviews. But there are... we. I read a couple of... We, I read some interviews after we watched it. And there's a lot of people that are like... Gave it like top like four out of four stars. Yeah. Like, like a few. And they're like, this is really imaginative and inventive and really fun. And I... I'm with you on it, like, 1006%. Like, it's it's one of my favorite things to come out of the Mormon cinema boom. What is it, yeah, though? Yeah, what is it? Well, for the people who can't touch a movie. For the people that can't touch a movie. What okay, does it look so like? Here's, so here's the thing. It takes... 
people. Okay. Uh, no, let me start over. Yeah. Let me, let me be, let me be as Give us the tea, academic Dory. about this as possible. So when you're working with Mormon cinema, adjust your glasses. You're not going to do a lot of, academic. Oh, cause I'm being academic. That's me adjusting my glasses. Uh, you have to clear your throat <laughs> when you do that. It's part of the de- the whole like deal. Um, anyway, when you're dealing with Mormon cinema, you're not going to show a lot of vulgarity. No. You're not going to do nudity. No. And you, you can get away with like a small amount of violence. A and very maybe, small amount. And maybe curse-free rap music. Curse-free rap music, which does make an appearance <laughs> in this movie. Um, anyway, so Mormon cinema, you're not going to get a lot of that stuff. And people think that means it's not going to be very funny. But what it actually means is that you have to come up with more ways to be funny. You have to come up with jokes that are verbal or really funny sight gags. So that's the the constraint this movie's working with. And then it came out in the early 2000s when the cutaway as, as a comedic trope was just emerging. And it was like, uh, I don't want to say an early adapter of the cutaway because there were other Mormon movies doing this. But so every time they would mention something funny that had happened there would be a humorous cutaway to it. And so it's that kind of, it, it falls in line with those late 90s comedies um, in that it has a lot of cutaway jokes. It's, obviously, since it's Pride and Prejudice, it's female-driven. Um, it wants really hard to be a soundtrack movie. Of course, because they can't get the rights to more popular songs, they use a lot of local songs, which is also really cool because that's the same era when like the Provo music scene was kind of becoming a thing and it was about to produce Imagine Dragons. For and those that don't know, Neon Provo, trees. Pro, yeah, Provo has like, it's like a weird little thing where Provo, Lake, or Provo, Utah, not Provo, Salt City, has like a thriving indie music scene Yeah, and has for years. Yeah, this is a well-known fact <clears throat> now, but like... Nobody knew this in the early 2000s. Anyway, so that's kind of the the type of movie we're dealing with. Um, What makes this different, I think, than other Mormon cinema is the amount of care that went into it Mm -hmm. and the amount of skill. It looks more like a movie that you'd expect to have a budget. Yes. To the untrained eye. It's funny because people are talking about how there are some people who kind of poo-pooed the editing. Uh, yeah. And, I, and, and watching it back, you can kind of like, you know what? They they definitely had a really tight shooting budget. and Or, or not budget. They had a really tight shooting deadline mm-hmm. because they did not get a lot of coverage. Coverage is like, how much yeah. stuff do you film on the camera? And they got the bare minimum of what they need. And normally in the edit, you'll tell if they have more coverage. They didn't shoot a lot of coverage. But no. Which is fine. It's just a way to make a movie. It's just harder when you're making a smaller movie and you have less time to shoot in yeah. your in your dad's cabin. <laughs> in, your, in your dad's cabin. In your, I had a friend who claimed um, that the filmmakers had to stealth shoot a lot of the establishing shots and a lot of the like landscape stuff. There's a scene that is the streets of London that she's pretty sure they filmed without a permit. Yeah, it looks like it. Because they, so they had to like stealth shoot a lot because they couldn't get permits. I don't know if that's true. I hope not. Uh, I hope none, nobody who does copyright law or licensing law listens to this because I, I definitely want this to be on Amazon Prime forever where I can enjoy it at my leisure. It's my favorite. 
it's kind of like <clears throat> it, it reminds me a little bit of Charlie's Angels with the color. Like a lot yeah. of like deep hues, oversaturated colors. It's one of those movies that has like a it, Mormon movies often don't have a distinctive look to them the way no. Pride and Prejudice does. No, Versus this one, you remember, you know, it's got a lot of pink, it's got a lot of deep reds, it's got a lot of pastels. Like if you go inside the apartment where Elizabeth lives, it's it's all painted. It's all painted in girly colors that a bunch of twenty year olds would paint their apartment if they could right. afford it. So tell me, Dory. Because if you didn't know this, you guys, Dory knows everything about all the Jane Austen books. <laughs> Not everything, but a lot of things. <laughs> she, I, I, we sat down one night and you just, I just asked you like, okay, run me through the synopsis of every book. And, and you did. <laughs> yeah. And I gave you a really long synopsis of Persuasion, which is my favorite book. Yeah. Um, so this is a Jane Austen story. Yes. How is it adapted? Very well. It is adapted very well. So Elizabeth Bennet is not a young woman in Victorian England. She Ed, uh, is... Excuse me. Edwardian. Edwardian. England. <clears throat> Thank you. Thank you, mother. <laughs> You're welcome. She's not a young woman in Edwardian England. What is she? Uh, Elizabeth Bennet is a grad student at BYU. Mm-hmm. Uh, presumably, because we see her in class and she's 26, so... She doesn't have sisters. She, she has... She has roommates. Oh, okay. And she doesn't have a mother. No. The, that's... Her mother and that's, father that's are actually taken out of it. That's all of it. And, like, Elizabeth Bennet, like, Mrs. Bennet and Mr. Bennet are not in the movie. They're, in the very end, there's a throwaway line that references that she has a mother, but... Yeah. The mother is mercifully absent. Yeah. So, the Jane Austen, the Jane Austen book uh, centers around a family that is... Uh, not super poor, but not very wealthy. They are technically part of the noble class. The dad has like a, a title, but it's kind of a minor one. Um, at one point they call him a country squire, which I think might mean that he was like, that, I don't, I don't know if he actually has a title or if that means he's like a lawyer. I'm not sure. Um, but they're, they're not very wealthy and they only have daughters. Um, the way the legal structure was in England at the time, you couldn't leave property mm-hmm. to your daughters. Mm-hmm. Um, that would change just a little bit after this. But because they have no sons, none of their daughters can inherit their property. And the only male heir of the next generation is their second cousin, who is this creepy... Uh, not Well, he's not really creepy. He's just goofy. He's just this goofy, young, brand new Anglican minister who is kind of obsessed with wealth and power, but not in like a, but in a very inept way, in a way that he's like kind of, he's kind of a sycophantic social climber, Mm -hmm. but he's just very goofy and dumb about it. He's not malicious at all. And, um, Anyway, the story begins when a couple of young dudes move into the neighborhood. They rent out the big house at Netherfield and hang around the neighborhood, basically chilling with the girls. And one of them is Mr. Darcy, who is unpleasant and prideful, seems to think he's better than everybody. It's always funny how Darcy gets the reputation for being kind of like charming and like a charming wordsmith. Because in reality, he's presented initially as just like the worst and kind of clumsy when it comes to treating other people well. Well, this is the interesting thing about about Mr. Darcy is that he, when we meet him, he is very like, he's he's very snobby. In both That's the really book, his, in both the book and this movie, we're in talking both the about book today. and this movie, he's very snobby, 
And then over time you find out that like, okay, he might be like kind of socially inept and kind of snobby, but he actually is a really good dude in other ways. Like really good looking, but also like he cares. He's, yeah. He and, cares. And in this movie, they make him like a bit of a little, a bit of a dork. Like, yeah, he works for a publishing company and he wrote his own novel. And he, in the very first words, he's like, where's Kierkegaard in your bookstore? Like, I'm going to read Kierkegaard. <laughs> he's also British. Everybody, so everybody else in this movie is American and Darcy is British. Which and is, that's which kind is a great of a brilliant choice. choice. Yeah. Because a British person can, I feel like, get away with more rudeness than an American can. If you have someone who's American that's that rude, uh, I think the assumption would be that there's like that that they like probably are a mean person. Mm-hmm. But if they're British, I think they can get away with it. And let's be real; the Britishness is part of it's part of the appeal. It's part of the brand. Yeah. Like if if like finding a way to put that in there was really nice. Yeah. So in Victoria or Edwardian. Yeah. Edwardian. Yeah, Victoria. Okay, the Victorian era doesn't start until the latter half of the 19th century. Okay, okay, huh? we no. can't all have no, no, history I'm not, degrees. I'm not mad at you. Just nobody on this on this continent knows what Victorian means. Everything skips straight from the the Elizabethan era to the Victorian era. There's no yeah. in between. Yeah, <laughs> nobody knows. Nobody knows about the early federal period or the Directoire. Shh, Nothing. Shh, it's gonna be okay. It's I, all gonna be all right. Part of me knows that. Sometimes <laughs> it's hard to believe. Anyway, someday, I'm kind of floundering. Someday we'll have a segment where you can run through the different periods of history. I'll do that on my history podcast. <laughs> uh, the, so in, in Edwardian England, women need to get married. Yes. Or they're going to starve. Probably. Yes. It's a matter of survival. So it's, you have a culture where people have this imperative to get married. And it's kind of interesting that they made a movie where it's like, okay, well, it's not just a love story that is very popular and everyone knows about it. It's also a culture in... Provo, Utah, which is where this movie takes place, where everyone kind of has an imperative culturally to get married. Not yeah. to starve, mind you, but there are stakes in that the women feel a pressure to get married. Well, and I think it's important to point out, too, that for Mormons, marriage isn't just a matter of like, it's, it's not a social imperative even as much as it, as it is a spiritual imperative. Yeah. We have this, you know, a little bit of doctrine that we can't, uh, you can't succeed alone. You know, you have to have your partner to go through eternity with you. So what it kind of really interestingly points out is there's this element of this Pride and Prejudice where there's this book that everyone's reading called the Pink Bible, mm-hmm. which is kind of the movie's way of pointing out that, you know, in both the original and the new one, there's a lot of competition between women to be like, who's going to get the boy and all and all these women kind of are are kind of competing against each other to get the attentions of men because they really want to get married. Yeah. Well, and it's an interesting thing that um there's a lot more there's a lot more women than men in the church. And so the competition is all on the female side. So they made this funny fictional book that like is full of like strange advice like you need to massage this muscle between this Point in the elbow in order to get their attention. Oh yeah! If you go, if you go grocery shopping, fill your cart with foods that could be easily fed to a partner, so that if you meet a single man, he'll be like, "Oh, I see you have grapes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I bet I could eat those strawberries." Yeah, I think the the pink Bible is kind of their way also of of uh, pushing the pushing the marriage thing even further mm-hmm. because the movie isn't framed. Uh, with an urgency on anybody's... Well, it's not framed with an urgency on 
everyone's part to get married, but the pink Bible is kind of a good way of like reminding the audience that this idea that you should be married or that you should have a partner is sort of ever present. Especially in this culture. Yeah. And so you have like, they do a genius thing where they have one younger character who is obsessed with getting married and following the pink Bible obsessively mm-hmm. and not getting any closer to She has a pocketbook copy in her glove box. She has a pocket size. And <laughs> she's not getting any closer to finding a man. But the women that are like kind of ambivalent about dating are having their romantic adventures. Mm-hmm. And so it's really interesting. The other, so, so the great thing, obviously, about setting Pride and Prejudice in a Mormon setting is that the pressure to get married is equivalent. But also, the thing people forget about Jane Austen was that she was a great social satirist. Yeah. And she really, like, she wrote comedies of manners to sort of make fun of the conventions of the, the world that she lived in. And what the filmmakers do is they sort of subtly they hit it but brilliantly do the same thing they find a way to sort of joke about utah culture and mormon culture um the same way jane austen would have which is so it feels it's skewered but it's lovingly skewered so it feels true to life but at the same time they're not afraid to make gentle ribbings that say the guy that won't stop talking in sacrament meeting yeah or, or in a church meeting uh or the way that people can be really overeager when it comes to proposing or asking for marriage in a culture that actively pushes it so hard. Yeah, there's a the the equivalent I mentioned earlier in my in my messy synopsis that there's a, a character in the book who's the heir to the Bennett fortune, and so um, the Bennett's mom wants him to marry one of the girls so that they can inherit their dad's fortune through him. In this version, he's just an overeager, overzealous, uh, traditionalist man. He would basically be a redditor today. He would maybe, yeah. <laughs> he would be, yeah. Uh, Tim turned to me when we were watching the movie, and he's like, oh, he would have been rad- radicalized by the internet in today's world. He would have. I'm not so sure. I think he would have. I think Mormon men are a little, I don't know. A little slower to get into the deep web. I think you underestimate the way that people can easily be recruited into thinking feminism is evil. Lizzie Bennet is a feminist ostensibly in this version, which I think just means she doesn't want to get married as soon as everybody else. Well, there's, yeah, there's a, well, this is the funny part is that the film never calls her a feminist. It does once. No, no, no. The film doesn't call her a feminist. Collins calls her a feminist. Oh, yeah. So when Collins comes in to propose to Elizabeth, which is a well-known event in the book, and they do it in this movie, he just shows up, and we've kind of seen him around. We know he likes her, and he, but he comes up and says, like... And they haven't officially been dating. They haven't officially been dating. Everything that we've seen is them having, like, a casual relationship, and he kind of likes her. He shows up and is like, we've been seeing each other for a while, and she's like, you were paying me to cut your hair. And anyway... He proposes and he says, I always wanted a traditional girl, but I find your forward feminist ways exciting. And see, that's the funny thing is that the movie doesn't, the movie doesn't go like, Hey, we're feminist or we're not feminist. The movie says, here's this guy who doesn't really get what feminism is, who thinks it's like somehow. And and you also have to understand for men in Utah, feminism uh, as a word Seems like kind of a radical word. It still does. Did you know we were ranked 50th out of all the uh, United Nations states in gender equality? I have problems with their science. Anyway, we won't get into <laughs> that. 
Um, as, as a defender of the state of Utah, I have problems. I take issue with their science. Okay. And their, well, not their science, but their implications. Anyway, um, so feminism seems like a really radical word to this guy. And so her just being 26 and not being married seems like a statement of some kind to him. Which, in the original novel, would something similar be? She was kind of old. No. No, she she wasn't old. old. No. Oh. In the novel, she's 20. I I shrink. I'll shrink again. (laughs) That's the other thing that people get wrong all the time is that it's it's way more fun for Lizzie Bennet to be, like, kind of old. But in the novel, yeah, she's 20. Or, or like the tops 21. There's a scene in the, in the book where she says, I am not one in 20. And when people play that today, they use that to be like, well, I'm not one in 20. I'm not a spring chicken. But what it actually means is I'm younger than 21. Is mm-hmm. how they, yeah. Anyway, I get, I, I, it's too easy for me to like get on my high horse about Jane Austen shh, over here. Shh, Don't okay. shush me, you mansplainer. Okay. No, I'm just patting you gently. It's going to be all right. It's going to be okay. Mm. It's going to be fine. Anyway, yeah, so, so it's, I don't know, it's brilliant, it's brilliant in a lot of ways. I, I turned to Tim, and I was like, this is the singles ward we deserve. Yeah. Because there was a, so there was a movie made at the beginning of the Mormon comedy boom called The Singles Ward. It's kind of infamous, because it started a lot of this train of moving. It started, it started the Mormon comedy thing, and it's very kind of bro-y, it's about a guy losing his faith and coming back to it through the love of a woman. And it started the trend of like Mormon movies, adapting the goofy style of comedy and kind of adapting their own version of those screwball Will Ferrell comedies that were coming out at the time. Began the career of one Kirby Hayborn, who is not in this movie. Pride and Prejudice, by the way. No, he's not. Nowhere to be seen. None of those guys are. It's like a different cabal. None of of them are. It's full of people. You're never really going to see anywhere except for the leads who, yeah, the Elizabeth found her way into the sequel of The Prince and Me. Yeah. She's she's our replacement Julia Stiles. She really is Julia Stiles type. In a way, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, in a and way. Then, and then you said that the Darcy is in the IT crowd. Yeah, Orlando Seal plays Peter File in the in the IT cloud in the IT crowd episode. The IT Club. The IT Cloud. The IT Cloud. The IT Cloud. Yeah. It's if where you we ever keep s- all our episodes of the IT Crowd. It's where we keep them all. In our IT Cloud. <laughs> yeah. If you've ever seen the infamous Petophile episode of the IT Crowd, Petophile is played by Orlando Seal, who plays Mr. Darcy. Which is such a great name already, Orlando Seal. I know. I'm really surprised that that guy hasn't done more in, like, especially in the British How scene. How do we get him to come small. to a Comic-Con? I don't know. Take pictures with he, that face. I'm sure to- it still look good, looks good. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, he was a 13, very young guy when he did years this. Later. I don't know. You'd have to get him in something nerdy. Oh, he's in the IT crowd. Good enough. <laughs> and Mormon, Mormon Pride and Prejudice. Mormon Pride and Prejudice, the IT crowd. He did another movie that I actually watched the other day called Love Surreal that was also filmed in Utah. Oh. And I'm wondering if they were... They came out not very far apart, maybe like a year or two apart. And I'm wondering if they were made at the same time. The other movie is not good. The other movie <laughs> is not as good. But this movie is very good. But yeah, so this movie, usually usually Tim's the one that's like, hey, look, filmmaking. But I think the reason this holds up is uh, all of their cinem- like their cinematic choices have a point of view. They have a color palette. Well, they have all these professional things. It's all these professional things, and to the point of it being the most important, it's funny. It's really funny. It's funny and charming, and like it's it's got jokes where 
you know, everything lands and you, you want to watch these characters do stuff. And it's like they have a they have a cutaway moment where it's 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 kind of after uh, Col- not Collins. Gosh, I'm smacking my head over here trying to remember basic facts about things I've seen in my life experience. Uh, Jane. Uh, what's her love boy? Charles. Charles. Charles breaks up with Jane after a misunderstanding and Elizabeth feels bad because she just cussed out, not cussed out, but like put Darcy through the ringer and left him alone. And then he explains, oh, by the way, I'm sorry if I ever did all this stuff. And by the way, this person you're defending kind of ruined my sister's life. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So it, it, and she feels really bad. So they feel really bad and it shows them like in their apartment and they like have like a dream sequence where like a dog eats one of their toes and it's like shows up in the local news. Oh yeah. They have, yeah. Some of their cutaways are like a dream sequence. The dream sequences are some of the best parts. It's true. Of the whole movie. There's, there's an infamous scene where Elizabeth Bennett throws a hymn book at a man in church and it's just, it's it's so gratifying and glorious to be like and, and it shows an important part. I like her because she's they let her be really real. Like yeah. she's she wants she wants people to respect her. She wants she wants love. She wants to be a novelist. She wants to not have to work in a bookstore. When but you, she's vuln but she's vulnerable the way you would expect someone like that to be. She's not like I don't know, it's kinda like Princess Diaries, but like toned down where it's like, you know, she's 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 got the normal amount of of clumsiness that a human person would have, but they showed in where it's like, okay, she's like approachable. And like, you want to hang out with Elizabeth Bennett. You want to like, she's vulnerable, but capable. You'd want her to come to your party. Yeah. She would keep it real. Yeah. She does keep it real, real. So there's, uh, there's a lot of absurd elements you wouldn't think would work, but they totally work. And there's tropes that they stole almost directly from singles ward. Like there's a character in singles ward called Deverl who is just that really dorky guy from your ward that every ward has where the the ward is kind of his whole life and he's kind of not very good looking and kind of dorky. That's totally Collins. Yeah. But Deverl is just there to be a person that you've seen. Collins is there to like have a plot function and have like needs and wants and affect the protagonist in certain ways. And every joke in this movie is a good joke, but also serves like serves a um, a dramatic function of some kind. People people respond to the jokes, and they lead into other things. Like there's a joke about how it, there's there's a party they go to where they first meet Charles and Darcy, respectively, which is from the original book. Mm-hmm. The the boys hold a ball, and mom's like, "You girls are going to this ball." Yeah. Uh, and in in the movie. Uh, Lydia, our, our young person who's desperate to get married, gets her younger sister to cut a breaker so the band will stop playing. And that forces Charles to... And it's funny because Lydia gets shocked and it's it's a little bit of slapstick. Also, that's kind of a doofier, more cartoony tone. Mm-hmm. But it like gets away with it with like the colors being so bright and, and everything being so strange. And so then Charles has to go to the garage to check the breaker box. And who would we find in the garage but... Darcy sitting in a car reading Kierkegaard. <laughs> yeah. And it's like they found a way to take like this one thing and and move it into Oh, and here's Darcy. Like it's 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 good plotting. Yeah. Well, and with an adaptation like this, it can feel kind of forced to transpose elements into their modern equivalent. But this movie 
that this movie does does that, but it makes it feel very true to life in Provo and life in Utah and what it would be like if you were a millionaire with an amazing car, as Darcy has. And <laughs> rather than hang out with a bunch of sorority girls, you want to go sit in your car and, and read. Yeah, it's. I'll, I'll tell you. So we're we're we're. I oh know we're good on time. Um, I'll tell you the things that I love about this movie. I love the idea that what we what we really root for with Elizabeth is growth. It can be hard to capture that in a romantic comedy, but that is what happens in the book. the The point of the book is that Elizabeth, even more than Mister Darcy has to overcome her own prejudices and her own sense of identity protection. Can, can we settle this now? Because sure. I didn't know this, and I had to ask you this when watching the movie. Which one's pride and which one's prejudice? They both are both, but Lizzie is more of both. Isn't it more divided that... No. That, that, Charles, <laughs> that Darcy is pride and Lizzie is prejudice? It is a little bit... That's what you like, explained to me. What Darcy is mainly accused of in the book is being proud which he's like, oh, I'm too good for these girls. Yeah, I yeah, it equivalates it a little. It is equivalates a word, no, but um, yeah, it, it's the equivalent of of like vanity and equivalent is when you're just as late as the other person at the meeting. We're equivalent. <laughs> We're equivalented. Yeah. So Darcy, it's it's the thing where they're both both that Elizabeth. Elizabeth's judgment has been clouded by her own prejudices. Mm -hmm. She fell for a charming person who was not very good over an uncharming person who was very, very, very good. And also her own pride was wounded by Darcy when he said, Oh, she's not that good looking. And which in the, which in the Mormon movie is him saying, Oh, she's not very good at her job. Um, anyway, so her, because he, violated her own pride early on then comes the prejudice and darcy has a lot of pride about who he is and what his status means and that creates a lot of prejudice for him against these lower class characters and so he doesn't he doesn't fully see all of the good things about elizabeth's family and or in this case her friends and in this case her friends so he he gets it earlier than she does. Earlier on in both the book and the movie, he's like, "Oh, she's actually really cool, and I like her." But it's funny he how can't... quickly he does it in the movie a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the movie, they have less time, and so he does do it very quickly. But in the yeah, in both, he kind of is like, "Oh, she's cool, and I really do like her." But his pride keeps him from giving into that. And makes him feel like, oh, I can't possibly like someone like her. She's the opposite of what I think somebody I would like should be like. And it's funny because when he tries to say, oh, I'm strangely attracted to you. I would never go for someone like you normally. And she's like, is this seriously how you're trying to hit on me? Yeah, she's like, then piss off. What are you doing here? (laughs) Strangely attractive? Screw you. Like, No. And yeah, and that's that moment in in the book and in the movie. In this movie, he asks her on a date. And in the book, he actually proposes to her. So that, but that moment for both of them is like, oh, wait, you're not who I thought you were. And then over the the last half of the book is them being like, oh, this is the person you actually are. And right. then they fall in love again. And then they fall in love with each other. So it begins as like, 
an antagonistic attraction, and then it grows into true love, which is the other reason I love them doing this for Mormons. Because as Mormons, we get a little bit fatalistic about our relationships. We start to say things like, God has a plan for me. And I think that there's, there's elements of that to the universe, but more importantly, like, we still have free will and we get to choose who we wind up with. And if you're going to choose who you wind up with, choose somebody who's who's, British. Who's British. (laughs) (laughs) No, no. Choose somebody who's good and who has integrity and who will value you and your pursuits. And The, the moment Darcy realizes she's good is when her friend is just after the band is, is cut out of this party because the power goes out. Her friend just gets up on stage and starts singing, my body lies over the ocean. Mm-hmm. And it goes and goes and goes. And it's actually, it's, it's pretty funny. It is. That's and what, it's, yeah. it's, and, and the moment where Darcy kind of realizes like, oh, she's, she's good is when Elizabeth is finally the person to get up on stage, start singing with her friend and then drag her off stage <laughs> Yeah, to be like, Elizabeth takes pity on her friend and pulls her out of a situation and stands up for her. And, and risks and risks something in the process. Yeah, and, and so Darcy's like, oh, this person is good and well-read and, you know, self-assured. Mm-hmm. I like those things. I want that. Oh, no, what's wrong with me? Because mm-hmm. <laughs> Darcy is over here like, I want a girl who knows Kierkegaard. Yeah, and the moment for her is when he he sends her this email explaining all of his bad conduct. And she's like, Oh, you're a person that also protects your friends and like looks out for your family. And that's why you, do you follow Kim Kierkegaard Ashian on Twitter? No, but I'm going to right now. <laughs> I don't know what that is, but I want to know. It's a what Twitter it is. account that combines like the philosophies of both Kim Kardashian and Kierkegaard. Oh, that's horrible. And I need it. That's going to be a thing. Anyway, I just want to say like, the the thing that Jane Austen was really saying with this book is like, be careful how you judge people. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to wind up with somebody, wind up with someone who is a good person, because that's the kind of person you can rely on. You can rely on that person way more than somebody you're attracted to or somebody who's charming. And I think that's a great thing to tell Mormons. Now, in this movie... His integrity and his goodness are more substituted with him being like him being really relatable and cool and getting her. I'm okay with that. They both like books. You see, they both like books. You see, and him being like more of a gentle person than she thought. And I'm, I'm okay with that because this movie is really funny. And because I, this is the movie that got me to read Pride and Prejudice and discover what Jane Austen was saying. So. In an age of Disney telling everyone to marry for love, darn it. I feel like there's something really important about Jane Austen sort of being like, don't, don't marry for love. Don't marry for love. If it means he's going to rack up gambling debts or, you know, he, he makes you cringe at the very sight of him. Uh, marry someone who's, who's good. Marry someone who is Good. Who will who will drive to Vegas on a whim and punch your and keep your friend from marrying yeah. a guy who's gonna punch your ex boyfriend in the face. Punch your ex boyfriend in the face. Yeah, that's the equivalent of Lydia and Wickham eloping. Can we talk about that one scene that I really really like? Yeah. There there's a moment where uh, Jack 
the the other guy the Wickham character yeah, yeah the other guy for Elizabeth before she realizes oh Darcy is good and it turns out that Jack ruined Darcy's sister's life mm-hmm. uh, is going out with Elizabeth and they kind of subtly hint that something's wrong with Jack because he's always like oh can you spot me like oh yeah he, he he's a freeloader but like on the, the DL mm-hmm. but there's finally a moment where he like kisses Elizabeth and then she's like no thank you. And it's this really thing where it's interesting because we we talked a lot about Twilight and how Twilight's kind of refreshing because it's just so rare you see a woman who's just like, not yet, mm-hmm. like who gets to be who gets to be chased and not be a prude. And, yeah, and it's kind of like real, Elizabeth is like your Bella Swan in that way, where she her sexuality is on, on her own terms very fiercely, mm-hmm. but she's also not kind of waifish and following. Yeah. Like it's 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 kind of one of those things where and, and this version of that is very refreshing and rare. Someone mm-hmm. who's just like like Jack wants to go in for a kiss and then she's like, No, thank you. You're kind mm-hmm. of my flirt, buddy. I'll think about it. <laughs> yeah, not tonight is what she says. Not not tonight. Yeah, I like that. I like that about this movie too. It's- that that everyone kind of gets what they want on their own terms. Yeah, and, and if the, if there it, it rewards goodness. In a way that's not true to life, but is still kind of enjoyable. You know what? I think it. I don't know. I think it's. I think it's true enough to life. Jane Austen really understood that uh, badness often goes unpunished, and your only satisfaction is the moral high ground. So I think they kind of they kind of capture that. We don't really get to know. Wickham does eventually get out of prison, and I guess gets what he wants in that way, and. Everybody else just kind of goes on with their life. People don't get exactly what they want, but they they get something and they find some purpose. It's pretty cool. Yeah. I also love this movie because it was doing a lot of stuff that like people complain so much today about like not enough women being in comedies and not enough women leading movies. And this movie does all those things that we want women to do. Five leading, f- five women in the very first shot. Five women. And, and, it, and all of them get a storyline. All of them get kind of an arc. Five women leading the story. The men do not pass the Bechdel test. You told me something really interesting about um, Jane Austen and the way she wrote novels. Yeah. As it relates to women. Yeah. Once. What is that? I don't remember. That uh, you don't see things from men's perspective. You only see things from women's perspective. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because Jane Austen grew up in an era where um, men and women were separated quite a bit. So you'd you'd see men um, in mixed company all the time. You couldn't be really alone. Well, you could be alone with a man under certain circumstances. But she had no idea what men would say to each other when they were alone. So she just, so didn't, she just write didn't write it. <laughs> there are no scenes in a Jane Austen book where two men talk by themselves. There are maybe two scenes in this movie where men talk by themselves. One of them involves someone playing a CD. So a German shepherd will go berserk. Yeah. That's pretty <laughs> much it. There's two, there's two scenes in this movie where two men talk and they don't pass the Bechdel test. <laughs> Like the reverse Bechdel test where like their conversations always involve a woman. It's always about a woman or about the... Does this movie pass the Bechdel test? Oh, yeah. Wait, does it? I don't think it does. But you know what? The movie is about... Marriage. Marriage in a way that I think is pretty much fine. Oh, no. 
does pass the Bechdel test. Because remember when they're on the couch and they're and like they haven't gotten off the couch in weeks. Oh yeah. I don't think they talk about men then. No, and they and they have scenes where women talk about uh, getting their novels published. That's about it. There's like maybe two scenes, but it, but again, the Bechdel test depends on subject matter too. So it's really not. It's but it's it's woman focused. It's woman focused. Like and the like Elizabeth third act, has her friends who are roommates, and she talks to other people on campus who are her friends, and like. And there's this whole third act montage of her moving on from caring about what this guy thinks and mm-hmm. doing things that are good for her health, like doing exercise, hanging out with her friends, helping her friend. She gives the makeover to somebody else. Gives a makeover really to her friend. That. You likes that precious. I really did because sometimes the, the third act montage is either somebody being sad and depressed about their, their choices or their romantic situation or it's um, a montage of like someone getting their groove back, and it is her groove, but her groove is like I'm gonna focus on my work and my religion and my friends. Yeah, and it's a very fun montage. And then after that, we kind of go back to like, oh hey, look, the romantic possibilities presented themselves again. I guess I'm cool with this. So I don't know. It's like my. I feel like this has been a weird episode because it's just me sputtering about how fun <laughs> this is, but it's and fun. how I love Jane Austen. And we hopefully have informed the public about more about the Jane and how she works and what she do. What she do? Yeah, she do good. That Jane. The Jane from this movie. The, and the Jane Austen. Oh, the Jane Austen. Sorry, there's a character named Jane in this movie. Is there a character named Jane in the original? Yes. No relation. Yeah. To Jane Austen? I don't know. The The character in the book whose name is Jane is very innocent and sweet and kind. And that's the character she gave her own first name to. So who knows? What kind of character are you going to give your first name to? I will never. Because there's already a very famous character with my first name. You should do another one. I don't know. Grandma Grandma Dory up on the... Oh, I hate that. Up on the, up on the windowsill. Ugh. Grandma Dory. I'm 28. That bothers me. Now you children come inside and adjust my pilot light. (laughs) All right. We are out of time. (laughs) But (laughs) thanks, everybody, for listening. Everybody, this movie is on Amazon Prime. Go watch it. Watch it with your girlfriends. If you're like me. Watch it with your boyfriends. Watch it with your boyfriends. If you're like me and you were really disappointed by the Kate McKinnon Ghostbusters and you like female comedies, but you kind of don't, you kind of hate that women in movies have to act like men to be funny. Go watch this movie. Yeah. Go watch this one. It's great. It'll give you nostalgia for the days when cell phones were analog. And someday, maybe you'll get to, if you really like it, you can go down the rabbit hole and watch Orcs! Exclamation point. Orcs! <laughs> All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. You can follow us on Twitter at JDRC Love. Uh, you could fo- no. JD Refcom Love. JD Refcom Love. That's right. At JD Refcom Love. Follow me on Twitter at Dory E. Peacock. You can follow Tim on Twitter at CyberMormon. Yum. You can email us at JDRCLove at gmail.com. Send us your thoughts about who is pride and who is prejudice and who is a plumbus yes who is a a, a thing a plumbus <laughs> what anyway don't tell me what that word means go ahead tell me that look us up on facebook the judgment day refreshment committee we also have a website jdrefreshmentcommittee.com like and subscribe on itunes if you have some time uh, rate and review us on iTunes. It helps, it helps us get new viewers. It's the algorithm, yo. 
It's the algorithm, yo. Um, we are also on Stitcher. Um, that's it for us this week. I guess these are our sign-offs. Uh, watch out for the spider robber. Indeed. All right, everybody. We won't <laughs> judge you. We will bring the Jello salad to your trial. My Bonnie lies Go out in the park where it's lonely.